This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, June 15th of 2017, it's episode 112. In this episode, playing above and below your own abilities, plus Wargaming, Fear the Con 10, Overwatch and Dead Cells, a lengthy rant from Grant, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. I am Peter. I'm Jenny. And that silence there is not a guest. No. We are back to our usual slavish adherence to our outline. (laughs) Wait, no. No, it's actually been a lot of fun having guests on the past three episodes. Four if you count the one we had to split in two. Yeah. yeah. But it's also kind of good to be like just us again handling Patreon backer questions. So, you know, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tonight's episode, by the way, is on a topic that our Patreon supporters voted on, so I'm excited about that. It's about playing above and below your abilities. This one actually won pretty overwhelmingly in the poll, didn't it? It did, actually. Uh, And it's a fairly common question I've seen. Uh, It's asked pretty frequently on various forums that I've seen, so I'm kind of excited to get into it and present our take on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it may be different than the take other people have. We do have a lot of catching up to do, though. <laughs> yeah. Because we try not to do too much personal and... Personal gaming stuff. Yeah. You know, while we have guests on. First thing that's important, Fear the Con will have happened by the time this episode drops, which is great. Probably the episode after that will be kind of a Fear the Con recap, I expect. Yeah. yeah. We'll see how that goes. Or at least a little bit. I can't remember if we have a guest lined up or not. I gotta check my uh, notes. I think we do. I think we do yeah. too. The plan is to take some recording equipment with to the con. Yeah. Actually, there's definitely going to be some there because I have some <laughs> that I need to give to Jenny. Her audio quality will soon be improving. Yay! But I would like to, probably on Sunday morning, sit down with Jenny, since we're going to be the two hosts there, and recap the con a little bit in some yeah. kind of a short audio thing. So, oh, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, because there are definitely some games that I'm in that I am really looking forward to that I cannot see how they will be bad. And even if they are bad, then that's a whole lesson that we can talk about on the show. Perfect. So, yes. Yeah, Good I, games, I bad games, it's all material for the podcast. <laughs> But mostly the bad games, because, you know, (laughs) sorry. No, not really. I mean, this worked really well. Definitely makes a lot of good material for this particular podcast. I suppose that's true. Ask me how. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) Speaking of games, the D&D game that Peter and I are in is going to be on hold for a couple of months. So we will finally be sparing you all from talking about it incessantly. Yeah, except for now you really have no excuse to get that last campaign report up. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, no, no, I do. I totally do. I might be helping Chrissy set up for something she's running. Ooh. Oh, okay. We'll see how that goes. She's never run anything before. She's not super confident about it. She's not super confident she has the time to do it. We'll see what happens. I'm not going to make any promises on her behalf, but Gee, the, we've j- talked The about mother it. of two young children might not also have time for game prep? What, a, <laughs> what an outlandish claim you've made. Oh, wait. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but I, like I said, I don't want to make any promises on her behalf or put her on the spot or anything, but we have yeah. talked about it, so that might be a thing. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. It would be. Yeah, so. I think I think she, do, she would do a good job. She's been wanting to run a Call of Cthulhu game for a while now. 
Also, um, I should put this out to our listeners. The the player that likes to remain anonymous in our group is going through some extremely positive life changes that are going to just require some time. So we're kind of happy about the fact that this game is getting put on hold, even if it's going to stink to not be able to game for a while. Yeah, this is one of those, oh, we're praying prayers of Thanksgiving at last instead of praying desperately for him so yeah yeah it's it you know i kind of got the news randomly on a day when my wife and i were doing a craft show and it was like tell me more yes (laughs) it was very positive so we're we're very happy about that (laughs) i do kind of want to talk about video games for a little bit though because yeah, i kind of do too yeah first of all i got to play some more overwatch past couple weeks got to play with jenny some which was great Yeah, that cool. that was very fun. You do play a very good Orisa. I will say that. You play a mean Orisa. I was reasonably happy with my Diva play as well, actually. Oh yeah, you did do pretty well with Diva too. Basically, tanks who don't have to shoot very well, great. <laughs> yep. I'm super. Yep, I, I am right there with you. Although I think I'm like my tracer is getting a little better than I expected, so I'm kinda excited. I might charge some tracer soon. Yeah, once you get the hang of the uh reverse time feature. That's that's really handy, because I didn't realize when I first started playing Tracer that that healed you. Making that realization was, was really something, and it really, it like, completely changed it for me. Oh yeah. Peter, just to give you a, some some context here, or for anyone who doesn't play Overwatch, Tracer is this, the definition of glass cannon. Fairly high damage output, like 120 hit points in a game where tanks have like 500 but her special ability is to teleport dash in whatever direction you're looking at or whatever direction you're moving in up to three times very, very quickly. Basically as fast as you can press the button. Yeah. Uh, so she can make incredibly complicated movements around the map extremely fast. And this is in a, a first person shooter. And then she's got a rewind ability that takes her back like a certain amount of time, which also restores her health back to what it was at that time. Wow. It's basically like I can teleport four times in the space of a half a second. Yeah. If you and watch professional play, it's a lot faster than that. Yeah. And then when you play Total Mayhem, where cooldowns are significantly reduced and health is significantly increased, it just makes playing her so much fun because you can almost constantly teleport. It's really fun. That sounds amazing. I'll have to try that soon. Anyway. Yeah. At some point, I will be picking up Overwatch, but I have not done it yet. Please do! Yeah, and you're not, I know you're not a huge first-person shooter guy, but this is a really fun one to play with not a multiplayer first-person shooter guy. I've been known to play the occasional single-player one. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of my most read blog posts was about my experience in Wolfenstein, so... That's fair. That's that's fair. fair. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. You should pick it up at some point just because, A, you can play with us, and that's right. always you know fun to play with groups of people you know. Really, frankly, that is pretty much all the recommendation I need. I just need to find it in the budget. So yeah. yeah, and the nice thing is because of the way the game is made, you're not doing the same thing every time, so you kind of mix it up regularly, and it feels better. Yeah. Nice. And also, it's pretty easy to just leave jerks behind or just mute them, so. Uh, I straight up... I. I block people freely. If if someone's being vaguely rude in chat, I don't want that in my life. And I block mm-hmm. them, and then I don't have to play with them anymore. It's very oh, yeah. easy. <laughs> you can also report people. Reporting people, they've got a fairly good reporting system for people who are, like, actually gross and abusive. Yeah, so. and I freely take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Peter, did you want to talk about Dead Cells? A little bit, Yeah. Um, they just released, well, I guess it had been out to some Let's Players well, okay. or something for a while. First, but what what is Dead Cells? 
Okay, Dead Cells is the latest in a string of games that's been coming out for a while where they mix like the side-scrolling light RPG mechanics of what's called a Metroidvania with roguelike mechanics where um, you only have one life and the whole map is procedurally generated and then there's some stuff that you can unlock that's persistent that carries over. Uh, it's an extremely well-executed version of this, uh, even better than the last one that I played and enjoyed, which was Rogue Legacy a while ago. Yeah, this art uh, is gorgeous. Yeah, it's it's some of the most vivid, colorful pixel art I've ever seen. Oh, ridiculous yeah, it's, animations. It's got really nice animations. It's got um, a very broad color palette, which is nice. It's not, like, all brown and stuff. Surprising amount of depth, too, given the uh, the pixel art. I mean, the, the environments look a bit more three-dimensional than, say, Rogue Legacies did. There's a lot of parallax and a lot of really good use of light and shadow, where you do get a good sense of depth out of the game where it's appropriate. It, it's not distracting. No, it's not like um, Deadlight, where you feel like you should be able to run into the background and you can't. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting game in that those mechanics go together particularly well, and they've also... It plays faster than a lot of the... Well, the one, really, of that particular type of game that I've played before. Uh, you can really get kind of cruising around the map and stuff, and it drops you back into play pretty quickly when you die, too. You don't have a whole bunch of stuff to do between your runs, and so that mm -hmm. that makes... Picking it up and playing for a short while, pretty nice. And then they also just recently added a major content update. This game is still in early access, so they're continuing to add features and areas and enemies and stuff. Added a bunch of new weapons, added a bunch of new enemies. I actually finally managed to beat the incomplete one, which was kind of cool. Uh, just every single item I had did some kind of continuing damage, and I just ran away from him constantly while throwing <laughs> things on the ground behind me. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I am not an honorable fighter in Dead Cells. <laughs> Nor should you be. Yeah, it's Metroidvania Guerrilla Warfare Simulator, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Strike from ambush, hit and run, plant bombs, run away. Meat grinders, like meat mad. grinders everywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah, flaming ground, bleeding effects, poison. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, it's it's good. Um, the other crazy thing about this is, I mean, the game came out in early access, was very well received, and the creators basically said, yeah, it's like 30 to 40% complete. Uh, it looks yeah. done, though. Yeah, yeah, it's got a relatively small number of areas in it right now, but okay. yeah, I can't wait to see what the full game looks like. Wow. Yeah, they're adding a ton to it, so I'm really excited to see what the full game ends up looking like mm -hmm. well and speaking of adding things to full games there's the thing that i'm really super excited about that xcom expansion that's coming out in august that was that is so big that it was almost the third game in the series hmm. so that'll be fun yeah i admit i've paid no attention to e3 news i've paid a little bit of attention i really haven't paid attention to any e3 news that doesn't involve the word xcom but that was all <laughs> over my feeds and, and that's fair yeah. Mm -hmm. I know how you and XCOM do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have something like 400 hours in XCOM 2 and... Oh, wow. Look, I'm just waiting for my Bahamut Lagoon 2, all right? Come on. <laughs> Come on, Nintendo. 338 hours in XCOM 2 and 199 in XCOM Enemy Unknown. And then if okay. you want to throw Xenonauts in there, that's another 47 hours and... <laughs> this is my favorite genre of game. Can you tell? <laughs> uh, yes, just a bit. All right. Anybody else got anything on this, or do we want to move on to our Patreon question? Nah. Excellent. Alrighty, so I've got my die here. 
Oh, cool. Okay, so this is a question from Kevin Von Felt. I believe there are a lot of great stories that can be told regarding a large-scale battle or war. Have This is either of you, because this question was pre-Jenny, actually. <laughs> um, have either of you dipped your toes into tabletop hobby war games, such as Warhammer Fantasy slash 40K or Kings of War? If so, what do you enjoy about them, and what do you play? If All not, right, look, why? I play Magic the Gathering. I don't have the budget for a fantasy war game, okay? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> one one expensive gaming hobby is two too many, so yeah. maybe even three too many. <laughs> so I have not done actual tabletop hobby war gaming. I do agree with the premise that there are a lot of great stories involving large-scale battles or war. That's one of the things that our Birthright game that we talked about a lot early on in the show really focused on because it was a game of basically nation-states and large powers going to war in a fantasy environment, and we definitely had good stories come out of that. But as far as actual... I've never touched a mini that wasn't a D&D &D mini on a map in my life. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, I had some friends that played 40K back in high school, but I never got into it. I do enjoy some of the the digital games that have spun off of this stuff. I played a whole bunch of um, the early Dawn of War series, and I hear the third installment is good, so I'll probably pick that up at some point. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's not that I really have a problem with the, the franchises here, and I very much agree that you can tell very interesting stories about uh, large-scale warfare in games, but I haven't dug into the hobby wargaming thing at all. Yep. Yeah. Jenny? Uh, not so much. Actually, the first mini I ever painted was a Warhammer 40k mini. It's of a little guy with a gas mask on. I don't even know what he really is. We, there was a, a mini painting thing, and this one guy in... Um, I, I used to be one of the executive members of the Newfoundland Geek Society, and one of the guys in the Geek Society came to one of our events and was just like, Hey, I have all of these unpainted minis, and I want to share them. And I want to paint with people. And so he gave me a little mini of a, of a dude with a gas mask and a gun and I think a knife. And I painted it. And I got last place in the painting contest. <laughs> <laughs> well. But I had a great time. I had a, I had a really great time painting that mini. That's as close as I've gotten to, to Warhammer 40k or, or anything like that. I have played Battletech in the past. But that's not really a war game as such. It's it's a it's a mini game with yeah. It's more that tactical. It, yeah, it's it's less to do with armies and more to do with individuals. You are you are piloting yourself. You are not piloting your platoon or whatever. Uh, but or your battalion or your battalion. But yeah, I I it's an expensive hobby to get into. I don't have the money. That's really one of the big reasons that I haven't gotten into it. Also, yeah. I tend to just be bad at those kinds of games. Yeah, same here. They are a good genre, and I, I like reading about them. I really enjoy reading about that type of stuff. I am garbage at playing it. <laughs> Maybe if I, uh, if I had the money to play it more, I'd get less garbage at it. But until then, until I get my, you know, 100k salary, I'll... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think... The line gets kind of blurry sometimes between, you know, the unit-based tactical game and the, like, squad-based and the full-scale army-based. It, it gets a little blurry at times. Unit-based tactical games like 
XCOM, Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, um, Ogre Battle, Jagged Alliance. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. I enjoy those. I'm still never great at them, like I said. Once you start getting lots and lots of units on the field, I tend to just lose my head. I, I can't I can't keep track. Yeah. So the total war games are not for you. They're really not. I don't do well with lots of moving pieces. Yeah. Even when I'm playing like Stellaris. Oh as, goodness, Stellaris. I love that game. But as oh, soon yeah. as I make Stellaris any ship, I have one I have one great big blob of of units that I just shove at whatever enemy and I generally pick pacifist traits so it's usually just like mining drones or whatever it's not like actual you know other colonies or whatever that I'm fighting it's just I'm fighting other bots and um <laughs> and, and it's just my great big clump of of hopefully impenetrable or near impenetrable force that I just sort of I think that's pretty things. much how you're supposed to play the combat in that game. Yeah, yeah there, there really are is. other situations. I, I feel like you like it may have changed a little bit with one of the DLCs, but I may be wrong. Yeah, sometimes, and I only know this from watching some act, some Let's Play videos, but sometimes you kind of get a little bit of scouting information about an opponent and go, oh, they're using shields, let me put my anti-shield weapons on there, but largely it's throw a ball of stats at a ball of stats and see which ball of stats is bigger. Yeah, yeah, and it really is pretty much just which one is bigger, too. It, it doesn't really seem to matter all that much tactic specific weapons that sort of thing it's just like do you have the larger ball of stats then you win there's really not much in the way of tactics and there's a very mild rock paper scissors thing going on with weapon types and defense types but other than that yeah it's there's not a whole lot i well, love it i love it so honest, much <laughs> stellaris isn't mostly about fighting anyway so no. It's, no. it's really mostly about gerrymandering the galaxy so you can get that mining you know resources or power resources rich world that's over on the other side by that other guy's empire yeah and yeah. giving just basically giving people presents until they like you a lot or or think that your race <laughs> is cute yeah <laughs> well kevin i think we've answered this albeit largely in the negative about us playing it but we do love a, like we said before uh large-scale battles as a storytelling device and i don't know maybe we'll turn that into a topic at some point i don't think we've done so yet no i don't think no, we yeah. have Hmm. I think I there's potential there. there. There's definitely potential there. And thanks to the magic of editing, I've actually gone ahead and added that to our list of episode topics. So thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Appreciate Yay! it. Yay! <laughs> uh, and if anyone else wants to get your question in for our show, just back us on Patreon and the amount will do. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash saving the game. Uh, we've had a lot of new Pat uh, Patreon backers lately, and I cannot tell all of you how grateful I am. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really kind of cool to see more people signing up to see our neurotically long outline. So, <laughs> yep, it's fun. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our scripture and our main topic here, shall we? Yeah. All right, who wants to take this bit from Exodus? I'll take Exodus. This is Exodus 4.10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And we have Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 to 3. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. 
Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. So our topic tonight is playing above and playing below our own abilities. This is, like we said before, a pretty common question on the internet. I've seen it all over the place. I've heard a lot of other podcasts address it at various different times. And what we're talking about here is kind of the question of, if I am a smart person, how do I play someone who isn't intelligent? Or if I am not a very social person, how do I play someone who is smooth and charming or intimidating? How do I play something I am not? We tend to kind of phrase this as above and below because we are often talking about statistics, but even in games that don't depend as heavily on those sorts of quantitative statistics like fate, this is still something that's going to come up. How do I play a smooth, charming airplane pilot if I am not smooth, not charming, and don't know the first thing about airplanes? Since we are trying to step into roles... And we, on this podcast, tend to think it's a good idea to stretch yourself a little bit and try things that are not just you. Well, unless you're me, in which case that's futile, but... Well, okay, so first of all, you've been doing a better job of it lately. And second, I don't think it's possible to play a character who contains no part of yourself. You can only separate yourself from yourself so far. Right. Yeah. You can emphasize certain things, you can bring new things in, you can leave parts out of yourself out but it's going to be connected to yourself in some way. Otherwise, you're going to be almost sociopathic. Like, you, you have no emotional connection to the character at all, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, you can. I think you can probably do that better if you're playing a character in, like, a fixed story that somebody else has written. Like, if you're working from a script or something, that's probably easier, but in the improvisational way that you play a role-playing character, parts of you are going to creep in. It's inevitable. Agreed. Uh, one thing I want to call out, one patron of ours specifically mentioned in the comments on the topic poll here, they specifically mentioned playing with children. Uh, they GM for kids on a fairly regular basis, and they wanted to help these kids play up to adult abilities and kind of talk about adjudicating situations where there's a, an adult, quote unquote, playing against children. So that's something that I would like to at least touch on, keep in mind throughout this conversation, because that's an interesting twist on this. Mm -hmm. Sure. I want to start with playing below player ability, playing people who are not as good at something as you are. First thing we got to mention here, be careful not to be offensive when you're doing this. Yeah. If you're playing somebody who is not physically strong, make sure you're not turning this into a mockery of somebody who is disabled in some way. Uh, same with mental abilities, emotional abilities, social skills. You know, if people are missing something, we we do not think it's a good idea to make fun of that. We don't think it's a good idea to stereotype that to the point where it becomes a parody. Yeah, that is that is very kind of counter to everything that we believe. So, yeah. And I have done that in the past with a character I'm going to talk about. I was not trying to, but I think some of it slipped in a little bit. And I'm going to admit to that when we get there. And talk okay. about what did and didn't work. I do think playing below your own abilities is easier than playing above your abilities. Yes. Yeah, because it's an area that you can, you might not live in, but you can see it from where you are. Mm -hmm. Yes. You can say, okay, these are the things I know how to do. Let me take some of that away. Yeah. Or just make myself worse at it. Yeah. I think that's relatively straightforward in some ways, although 
A, I think there's the trap of parody, which we've talked about, but also I think sometimes people don't think it all the way through. I do want to talk about coping mechanisms a little bit and functional illiteracy, and I know that's a weirdly specific thing, but bear with me here. Oh, I see you've got an outline or uh, an article in the outline here, so let's... Yeah. So I've actually been listening lately to a lot of the excellent campaign podcast. This is Cat Cool, James D'Amato, a couple of other improv folks. It's put out through the one-shot network of shows. They're huge, ever-expanding uh, network of actual plays and RPG podcasts, all of which are excellent. Like, all of them. It's It's embarrassing how much better they are than us. They're really good. Seriously. Uh, and Campaign is their Star Wars actual play that is delightfully funny because it's improv comedians playing Star Wars. It's great. Okay. One of the characters is functionally illiterate. I don't know if they ever use that term. I'm only like halfway through the backlog right now, but he doesn't read. First of all, this is something that came about entirely as a one-off joke about 20 episodes in, and then they've run with it and made it a central part of this character. Which is excellent, okay? Great Well, that, that worked out well for Frost in the Shadowrun game, so... It did. That's something they do all the time, to the point where they have whole sessions about a single joke they made back in, like, the second episode, where now that's a central problem. Like, huh, hey, there was a rabbit on the ship. Hey, the rabbits have bred, created a sort of hive, and eaten the <laughs> hyperdrive, and we're running a dread game dealing with these rabbits. <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Rabbits have eaten the hyperdrive has to be one of those sentences that had never been uttered before in all of human history. <laughs> I'm not going to be quite that declarative because there's a lot of bad sci-fi, but... Okay, but perhaps not in an actual play podcast, at least. That's more likely, to be sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, but this was a, a one-off thing they used as a joke. And what's interesting is I suspect that this particular guy, I cannot remember his name and I apologize, either is familiar with illiteracy and functional illiteracy or is just very good at understanding where those problems come from. Because one of the things that he illustrates very well is coping mechanisms. If I can't do something that society demands I be able to do, how do I get by anyway? Well, it's things like, the handwriting on this is really bad. Can you read this? Hey, guess what? I don't have to read this. I'm going to make you do it. Oh, I left my glasses at home. I'm nearsighted. Can, can you make this out? Or, I, I missed the sign. What did it say? There's often a lot of hiding for people who are functionally illiterate. You know, they're pretending to read, to, to not be embarrassed. All sorts of things like that. You know, memorizing labels so that they kind of know what they're doing. Uh, there's a really fascinating article that I'll link to. This is an older article about a professional athlete, a star football player named Dexter Manley, who did not learn to read until he was in his late 20s. Wow. And the thing is... He struggled a lot in his early life, suffered you know, various different forms of abuse, was very frustrated, uh, had a, a particular inability to learn to read, uh, where he could not associate the letters with the sounds that the yeah. letters make. But he was able to fake it, you know, cheating off people's tests. Because he was a star athlete, a lot of the classes that he was in just sort of let him skate by. The athletic corruption that happens all the time in, you know, high school, college, and yep. well, pretty much just high school and college sports teams, really. Once you're a pro, it's kind of, it's your job, and there's not much skating by, because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Right, but, you know, they the pros don't test for your ability to read. 
No, they test for your ability to play the sport that you're going to play well. Exactly. But he tells a really heartbreaking story about, you know, he uh, was asked to read a Bible passage in Sunday school once, and he, you know, stood up, got the Bible, and then, you know, patted his pocket as if it's like, oh, you know, I forgot my I don't have my glasses. I've lost my glasses. I'm sorry. And then he never went back to Sunday school again. And it's that sort of, I'm going to learn to avoid situations where this is going to be called upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read another story or uh, a little anecdote of a guy who was always tasked with picking up a particular list of supplies for a restaurant. And he'd always pretend that he couldn't read the handwriting on the list. Mm. Right. And it was kind of an open secret and people just kind of stopped calling him on it because it was like, look, you know, we don't have to pretend. We'll just, we will not mention it. And we'll just say, Hey, what do you need? Give me the list so that you don't have to go through that routine of, Oh, well, uh, I can't read. Boy, the handwriting's terrible here. You, you take a look, mm-hmm. you know, we accept it. Yeah. I may or may not have had uh, an actually functionally illiterate coworker at one point. Cause uh, I was working in a bed and breakfast and it was sort of two buildings. One building had like physical like handwriting on the door for, for each room. And each room had a name as opposed to a number. One building had rooms with writing on them. The other building had rooms with pictures and writing. So this lady worked primarily in, in the building with pictures and writing. But as soon as she was asked to work in the building with just the writing... She could not understand which room we were asking her to go to to deliver breakfast. And I I didn't have an experience with her like that after that because I worked worked with her again exclusively in in the other building, but um it was I think a frustrating experience for both of us. I I get the impression that having any kind of literacy handicap or difficulty with reading is incredibly frustrating for every party involved. So if, if your character is, is functionally illiterate, it would be... If you're be looking a, for a challenging situation... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, not just that. Like, let your character show their frustration every now and then. Sure. Let, let that... If that is part of who they are, then let them be angry about it every now and then. And that's a really good point, because it's not just intellectual things. If I'm playing a character with a really low strength score, it's kind of on me at times... To struggle to lift things. Mm -hmm. Or to have problems with a stuck door. Yeah. Yeah. Make that character be embarrassed about it at times. Mm -hmm. And that also takes it away from being just a joke thing. It makes it an actual characteristic of of the character rather than just the punchline. Which isn't fair to people who do have that difficulty, I think. Yeah, agreed. I would say spend a little time thinking about how people cope. If I'm playing a character who would struggle to get by, how have I done so anyway? What excuses am I using? Who am I leaning on to help carry the weight metaphorically here? You know, if I'm always dealing with customers and I have an extremely low set of social skills, how am I doing that? Do I pretend to be mute? Am I always in the back when customers come in? What's the excuse? Because it's probably uncomfortable to do something I'm not good at constantly. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had managers who hate talking to customers, so as soon as a customer walks in, they are immediately to the back doing prep work. Mm-hmm. Instantly. As soon as they hear the door open, they're in the back doing prep work. Yep. I work in tech support, customer service. We hear a lot of stories of people who work in that field who don't like dealing with customers even though it's their job. 
yeah, this is why I'm glad I'm a hardware tech. Dealing with customers is not my job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dealing with hardware is my job. And you know what hardware doesn't do? Talk. Hardware doesn't get an attitude. <laughs> oh, I disagree. I've heard those motherboard beep codes. Okay, well, <laughs> it's not the same as a human attitude, though. About as foul. Um, I'm going to throw out a character who I do want to talk about a little bit here. I played in a Necessary Evil campaign a long time ago now. It was really fun. Excellent game, if not an excellent system. It's Savage Worlds, which I love, but they added a whole bunch of stuff on there that completely threw the game balance off. But the character I was playing was named Newton. And this was an effort a while back to break out of my role as the guy who always plays the cleric. I wanted to play a big, stupid bruiser. And certainly he was big. Uh, his power was, you know, kind of an Ant-Man, Giant-Man style ability to grow extremely large, which was excellent because it also increased his toughness, which was the only way to survive anything in that game. And he was named Newton because he would jump on things while very large. He had jumping powers. Think the Hulk, but, well, the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> the and Hulk, a giant but head. the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Well, without the green or the angry. Uh, mostly just kind of a, a sweet Lenny from Mice and Men sort of attitude. Okay. And that's actually a place where I fell down a little bit, because at times I do think I made him not unintelligent, but rather mentally disabled in a way that sometimes was played for humor, and I'm not sure that that was healthy or correct. I certainly would not play Newton the same way today. I know that at times I was trying to create a, a sympathetic character who did have mental issues who basically the New York school system had failed because he was one of thousands of kids like that who basically got shuffled off into the poorest district's special ed programs and largely forgotten about, so he never really got to improve at all. And, you know, certainly there was some frustration there, but sometimes I did play it for laughs rather than for sympathy and emotional interest and drama, and that was a problem. Now, there were also a lot of very funny things that he did, which I still enjoy and are good jokes in our group, but the ones where I didn't do it right, definitely we don't joke about anymore. Yeah. It is something that even when you're trying to do this well, you can, and it, when you're going at it with the best of intentions, it's easy to slip into. So please be careful with it. So that kind of leads us into playing above your own abilities. And I really kind of want to lead this off with, even if you don't really give it some thought, you are doing this in almost every game system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Chances are a group of the most elite special forces soldiers that you could possibly assemble from everybody who's alive on the planet and everybody else who's ever lived will not be as efficient in combat as a group of fifth level D&D player characters. Yep. And they certainly will not have the same acrobatic scores. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's just the way that role playing games work. Another good example is take like some of the, the best investigators that you can find out there that work for major metropolitan police departments or for um, governmental intelligence agencies or for insurance companies because they have some really good investigators and they still don't have the level of success and fluidity in their investigations that a starting gumshoe character does because they're doing it for real and role-playing games are ultimately about a story, and getting stuck for months at a time bogs stories down and makes people lose interest. We look at this and think, boy, 
Playing above your ability is significantly harder than playing below your own abilities, but we have been doing this since the inception of the hobby with the physical abilities. We've been imagining this for millennia. We imagine superheroic characters, Hercules, Gilgamesh, Superman, whatever. Yeah. And we tell stories about them. And at the table, if we were expected to act out physical heroics the same way we are expected at many tables to act out social heroics and mental heroics, well, we'd be having People tremendous get horribly struggles. Horribly injured. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it'd also be, well, I don't know how to do a backflip. Well, then your character doesn't do a backflip. Well, that's stupid. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how to solve calculus problems. If I'm playing a character who can solve calculus problems, I should not have to do that for work. the GM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But especially with social things, I think we tend, because we want to roleplay with each other, we tend to make people try that even when they're terrible at it, or at least not as skilled as their character and uncomfortable doing it and unsure how to do it. And guess what? That leads to exactly the same kind of frustration that we talked about before, mm -hmm. because yeah. they're trying to do something they can't do. Now, the other thing about playing above that I think is important to mention and we probably should have touched on this in playing below, but I guess I can cover both ends here. A lot of the time, people will play above their own mental fortitude, courage, and morality levels, mm -hmm. or deliberately play below them in games. I know, in particular, uh, in our D&D game, Lambert is a much gutsier person than I am. Uh, he is far more willing to walk into life-and-death situations with kind of this resigned sigh than I ever would be in a similar situation. I would be very stressed out where he's like, oh, great, an utter cap. All right, well, let's go get it off the island so it's not threatening the colonists. Right, and that's just standard D&D &D fare. Yeah. Oh, there's a bunch of ghosts down there? All right, let me get the holy water and let's go deal with it. Yeah. Oh, there's a vampire. Well, okay, let's find the farmer, see how the garlic crop is doing. Let's carve up some wooden stakes, get the priest to bless us some holy water. You know, it's just, it's all very matter of fact. Yeah, I mean, we can put up a sign saying Shoggoth this way and Call of Cthulhu <laughs> characters will go, oh, good, the plot. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the thing. You, you have to be able to move the plot forward somehow. To quote Cassandra from Dragon Age Inquisition, the essence of being a player character in a game is, I see what must be done and I do it. Most people don't do that. <laughs> yeah, Cassandra's yeah. an amazing character for a oh, host of her. reasons, and that's yeah. only one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This is one of those cases where I think describing what you do instead of playing out what you do is a perfectly valid form of role-playing and something that everybody just needs to accept at the table. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, oh, well, my hyper-intelligent character is going to decipher these magical runes, I'm not going to go through the process of deciphering them. I have no idea what they look like, I have no, and I can't imagine something sufficiently complicated. So I'm just going to tell people, I'm going to spend time doing this, you know, use this book, spend a little time logically putting the pattern together in my mind and have an aha moment and then sort it out. Yeah, or if you, if you want to be a little more dramatic with it, you can be, you know, like, well, my wizard player character pulls out a, you know, a piece of charcoal and makes a rubbing and then walks off and you see him pull out a book and then pull out some instruments you've never seen. And you see some weird lights coming from over there and he comes back with a big old smile on his face and the paper is glowing and he opens the door. Yeah. In the Doctor Who RPG, there is actually a skill called Technobabble, for when you need to pull some kind of brilliant thinking out of thin air, but you as the player, you don't know how it'd work, but 
if you're playing a Time Lord, you absolutely do know how it works. So you can use your Technobabble skill to just babble your way through a solution. And I think that's an amazing mechanic to have in a, in a game where there has to be some level of playing above your own intelligence mm-hmm. um, most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's also valuable here to describe effects rather than means and causes. Rather Definitely. than describing mm-hmm. the exact conversation I'm having with someone or, or having a conversation, let me say I spend a few minutes talking with him. Five minutes later, we're both kind of laughing and chuckling and acting like we're the best of friends over drinks at the bar. Great. We just kind of look at it and go, oh, yeah. Grant's social gadfly character can just do that. I have no idea how I did it, but in the fiction of the game, he's done it, and it's great, and it feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can also be, especially if the GM is willing to cooperate with you, with you yes. which the GM should be willing to cooperate with you on this. Yes, if you, we're going to talk to you GMs yeah, in a bit here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you go up and, like, you know, roll your dice to get past this guard at the gate... You just describe the scene and it's like, you know, so-and-so walks up to the guard and there's a brief conversation and this huge, massive stoic guard just like sits down next to the wall and puts his head in his hands and just kind of like hands you the gate key and then starts crying. It's like, what did you say to him? (laughs) Sure. You know, you got a sin, but what did you say to him? And you just kind of raise your eyebrows and walk in and it's like that that tells you something about that character. Uh, Speaking of GMs, work with your GM. Like you said, get extra info from the GM. Make this just a standing thing, right? Hey, I'm the guy who's really good at talking to people. When you're talking to me about character, give me some extra social cues that I can hang actions on. I could say I press this button that I have identified. And don't make them as subtle as real social cues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, If it's an intelligence thing, a logic puzzle... Slip them two extra starting clues. Spot them a couple of puzzle pieces, whatever it is. And players, ask the GM to help you move the story along. Make it clear that you're going to be stuck here for a while unless the character succeeds at the thing that they have mechanically succeeded at. Yeah. Don't... This is something... And this is going to be a rant. And I apologize. But I'm going to rant for a minute. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. (laughs) Okay. All right. I've played in a number of games where playing a social character was an incredible tax. Here's the deal. If I hit someone with a sword in a D&D game, I am not expected to act out the sword bit, okay? And moreover, my going out into the backyard and demonstrating hitting with a sword does not replace the stat I have already invested in. Same for a lot of intelligence-based stuff. But I've played in too many games where... I'm playing a social character, I've invested character points into my social skills, but the social skills are not used for resolving problems. Instead, it's, Grant, how does your Shadowrun face deal with this guy? And we don't roll them until after I have tried to come up with things, and it's like, oh, well, you didn't do a good job, so you get a penalty on it. Bull. Okay? That that is the I will cut you moment as a player. This is not okay. I'm telling you, GMs, this is not okay. Players don't put up with this. Yeah. This is one of the reasons playing a bard in D&D is such a pain. Not because bards are mechanically bad or anything. One of the reasons people look at bards and think, oh, they're mechanically bad, 
is because those skills that they have, those social skills, aren't used because people are going, well, I act everything out. Well, it's like, all right, no. well, then what did I put 12 points in diplomacy for? Yeah. Exactly. And it is infuriating. I've played Shadowrun characters, like I said, where, hey, I'm the party face. Great. You're never going to roll a social skill again. Or if you do, it's only after the GM says, aha, I've got you and I got you here. I'm going to penalize you. Now roll. Yeah. Like, I think that is actually the only set of skills that I can think of where anyone is ever expected to not let the dice dictate the results. And it I think is. that's pretty messed and up. And it's baloney. <laughs> so, so I'm going to disagree very slightly. Sometimes I've had GMs say, well, how do you fix the machine? I don't okay. know. I don't know about machines. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes it's, well, here's a logic puzzle for you. And listen, I really do understand the appeal of like giving your players a tactile logic puzzle to solve as players rather than characters. <laughs> That's a cool thing. It's a great set piece. Save it for the Sphinx. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like make it a very special thing and let them know ahead of time it's going to happen and l make it a group thing. Okay. Yes. Because <laughs> otherwise, if I am putting Peter on the spot to quickly solve a puzzle box. I mean, I might get it. <laughs> if Peter can't do that or doesn't but know I'll how it works. But I'll glare at you the whole time. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. It's like, this is why I have stats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not playing me. I'm playing this character. Yeah. I think it's very common for GMs to try and consciously or unconsciously. And I think it's often unconscious. They trap the player first and then make that apply to a skill or stat or something like that as a penalty. Every once in a while, they'll say, oh, well, you got a bonus because you figured out, you know, the guessing game of what did the GM want you to do? And sometimes it's just we don't count social skills here. Well, then let me let me make sure to put zero points in them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it is so frustrating because I have played in many games that have been that that way. One shots, full on campaigns didn't matter. It's badly thought out and it is so painful to deal with. It's it's unfair to the players. And my vehement agreement with you on this should tell you how many of those I've been in, too. Yeah, I think people are generally getting better at it. Get better faster. <laughs> and this is one of those things where people go in with good intentions and don't realize what they're doing. So sure. I'm, I'm not being hard on the intentions of the GM, but this is one of those things that seems cool, but it's doing the exact opposite thing you want. It is making your players that are supposed to be competent feel helpless. Exactly. And that stinks, mm -hmm. especially when they've invested in being competent in that area. Worst case, what I will recommend to solve this problem, roll first and then say, okay, tell me how this goes, whether it's yeah. a success or failure. As the GM, ask the player to tell you how it goes, because players will like you know, messing up their chances when they roll really badly. They'll, they'll have fun with that because they own it because they have been able to use their skill and, hey, they just got a bad roll, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than guess what I want and see whether or not I make it easy or hard for you. Or yeah. worse, see if that happens. Yeah. That's the worst. And I'll yeah. tell you right now, my first time running a game, I did that, and it did not go over well. <laughs> well, hey, we learn from our mistakes, yeah. right? I've mm -hmm. also seen games where the like one girl at the table who makes the character with the social skills is expected 
to flirt her way through everything. And any answer other than that oh. is bad wrong. That, I've seen that. Yeah. And it's not That good. is totally un- Okay, hang on. That That's beyond bad gaming. That is into bad person territory. That is mm-hmm. totally unacceptable. Do not do that. Full stop. No exceptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. It's it's the best way. I want a gavel least... to slam here. Yeah. I have two. Do you want me to send you one? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I did congressional debate in high school, so I have a couple of gavels. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like that 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 is the best way to get at least me to physically get up and remove myself from the table immediately. At some point, I'm going to have my wife back on to talk about her first gaming experience, and every listener and every host is going to just want to reach out and slap the first people they gamed with. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. It won't be fun. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I've gamed with your wife. Your wife almost got put off of gaming. I'm already annoyed yeah. with these people. At yeah. the very least, it may be cathartic, maybe. Hopefully, best case scenario, catharsis. I hope. We'll see how that I, goes. I mean, it has a happy ending. She still games today, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me took us a while, all of us working together, to get her to give it another shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, to get back on track, though. Yes. We've hit on a bad way to do it, you know, the, oh, you're expected to flirt thing. But it is, I think, an interesting approach to think about, I've got X trait, right, um a high or low charisma, a really well-developed set of academic skills, you know, anything like that. How do those manifest? What general approach can I lean on for this? If I've got a low dex stat, is that clumsiness? I'm always fumbling things. Am I just slow? Like, I'm just slow to move from place to place? Uh, Is it really poor reaction times? Something like a a nervous condition where I just can't control myself particularly well. Okay, so what is it? We're gonna have to have this one out a little bit because this is a fighting I actually, episode. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> my character in the D and D game Lambert has a dexterity score of eight. Yep, and I have described that as um, his shoulder got injured while he was at the monastery, and he has a little bit of persistent nerve damage. Yes, Grant doesn't like this idea. Here's the, here's the reason why I picked that particular thing. It was for setting reasons, actually. The first was to show how low magic the old world is, where this was a non-life-threatening injury, and there's just not a lot of magic floating around the old world, so they stuck his arm in a sling and let it heal the old-fashioned way. And so he's got a little bit of persistent nerve damage there. I also want to... A spoiler for my character development... If the game goes to a high enough level, um, the next couple of times we level up, I'm going to put one point into Wisdom and my spellcasting stat and one into Dexterity. And when he finally dings over at, I believe it'll be level 12, and that Dex penalty is gone, first of all, it's going to be, he's going to start noticing it when it becomes 9 at um, at level 8. And, you know, his hand will be a little less shaky and his fingers will be a little more dexterous. And it'll be explained by the amount of healing magic that he has run through his body has just kind of fixed this old wound through just constant exposure. So what you're telling me is I need to hurt the player characters more so you have excuses <laughs> to cast healing spells. Uh, I'm down. I'm down. We've got this. We're no, good. No, you've, you've been set. doing a fine job of that already. Making notes. <laughs> Lambert routinely runs down to his last spell or two and most of it's healing. So I think you got that covered. Okay, so why did you not like this idea? So here's the problem. What happens if 
you roll your dexterity on, say, an initiative roll that involves running. You have bad decks, but what's that got to do with your shoulder? This is the problem I have with trying to... And see, I can explain that. Well, here's the thing, though. I'm sure you can, but you have to keep coming up with explanations for why this localized description applies to every situation where this stat matters. This is the the one issue I have with it. I like a lot of this. This is a real thing. It feels very believable for the kind of setting we're in. I, I like the character growth part of it. All of that is cool. But after a while, uh, and I had a character who had a dex of four in the Birthright game. I played one of those two once. Also a cleric. <laughs> yeah, D&D, right? D&D characters should not have a dex of four, but when you're rolling 3d6, sometimes it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, as a cleric or a druid, it's pretty darn survivable. It is. Because it, you've got it, it was healing fine. magic and protective spells. Right. But the thing is... I came up with a physical explanation for that, and after a while, it was a stretch to come up with explanations for it. And I had to just sort of say, well, he's also got this other, and he's also got this. And it just, it doesn't always work. So, yeah. so I'm, I, I definitely see what you're saying. And let me come back with, a, with one counter thing for this particular character, since I'm intimately familiar with him. Okay. First of all, Every time you miss an initiative roll doesn't have to be about the stat that it's based on. No, of course not. Um, that was just it, one you know, example, the character right? can be distracted. Um, the character can just catch a root as he's running and stumble a little bit. But the other thing, too, that helps a lot for initiative is that one of the ways that Lambert compensates for his kind of bad left arm in the world is that instead of being an open hand fighter or somebody who uses a two-handed weapon or somebody who fights with a weapon in each hand is he uses a shield because that uses gross motor skills and it's much easier. You know, I mean, who cares if his hand shakes if he's moving his whole arm in the way? Yeah, of course. You know, and shields are bulky and easy to catch on things and get caught on. Or if you've got a little bit of a trick arm, sometimes, you know, it'll snag and you're trying to get it untangled from some other part of your gear or something like that. And between the injury explanation and the shield... I'm fairly confident that for this particular character, I can keep making it plausible for as long as I need to. Sure. But, like, I could easily come up with something like, oh, hey, uh, I catch you while you're out of armor and with a grease spell. Yeah. You know, where it's like, it's kind of a stretch to put all the weight of this bad stat on this one injury I've described. Sure. I've and also like, noticed, they, you know, that's that's where I, you know, I say that it doesn't always need to be about the stat. It can just be bad luck. It can be distraction. Of course. It can be uh, and that's, that's a very valid things. point. Maybe somebody is just really unlucky when it comes to this sort of thing. And that's as good an explanation for this unexceptional ability as anything else. Yeah. Jenny, you had some. Yeah. I've also seen um, a localized bit of damage or, or disability completely forgotten about until it becomes relevant with the dice. Like, yeah. it's generally more of a problem with newer gamers. It can be done well. Like, I think the way that Peter's doing it, he's doing it a good amount of justice. But if you say that you've got a bad dex stat because you you lost three of your fingers on, on your dominant hand, but all of a sudden you're like, like you're still able to manipulate objects, like normal objects normally... You you climb don't climb checks. Climb checks are you're 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 okay with that. You're you're okay opening doors with with round doorknobs. It's just a, a bit of a pet peeve of mine, and 
I mean, yeah. No, I agree. I completely agree. It stops being plausible at times, or it's conveniently forgotten. Yeah. And again, th- this appears to be an episode of Grant relates his role-playing failures. <laughs> I've done it. I, I <laughs> conveniently forget about these little descriptive things, and then you know, a month later go, oh yeah, wasn't that the reason we came up with that? Boy, I really should have thought about that in the past four months anytime i roleplayed to be fair i literally once forgot that my character was a ghost so i mean you know (laughs) (laughs) i've i don't have the high ground here isn't that kind of in the nature of ghosts though they don't know they're ghosts i guess i guess but i literally kept forgetting that my character couldn't pick things up and the gm kept calling me out on it and you know what good on the gm because i needed that Ask your mother about some of the stupid things my mouse has done in her games. Fair enough. Quickly to get back on this, we've talked about like low decks, right? But if you're talking about very positive stats, let's say you've got a very intelligent character. Are they just kind of a know-it-all? Like they just have this massive amount of trivia? Do they naturally solve puzzles very quickly? Are they gifted logicians? Is it a case where they've just been incredibly well-educated? Not just an academic, but like a full-on royal education level where it's like, okay, you're going to learn seven languages because you have to because you're going to be queen one day. Yeah. Or is this just somebody who's a self-taught person, you know, a, a goodwill hunting type of character where they might be in one of the lower rungs of society, but they've just been reading everything for decades and they know more than some people with doctorates. Yeah, and the point here is not to say this is the only thing your character does, but it's to give you sort of a narrative hook to hang character behaviors on. What are they good at? How do they act kind of naturally? If they were not rolling any checks, what would they be doing? Yeah. Because people like to do the things they're good at. Is my social character charming a whole crowd or getting into deep, interesting conversations with people on a podcast? Yeah. We've talked about describing, I think, instead of playing out. I will throw out real quick, we've talked a lot about putting a lot of this on the GM. If you're doing something that's like very heavily skill-based, look up just enough to be convincing if you can. A little effort does help players. Like, I'm playing a guy who's really good with vehicles. Maybe I should learn a few parts of an engine. If you're a driver, maybe you should learn what a J-turn is. Yeah, like one or two little stunt driving tricks and just kind of throw them in there to sound cool. You do not have to learn to be a stunt driver. But learn the terminology because, A, it will be interesting. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you're playing this character in the first place, right? Yeah. And B, it will give you ideas of neat stuff to do and play, which is always welcome from both sides of the screen. It's basic character research. I am not saying you have to learn all the terminology of stunt driving, but, you know, learn some. Watch a couple videos, pick up a little bit. It'd be cool. Watch some car chase movies, if nothing else. I mean, then you can at least describe it. Theoretically, this is something you're interested in. Learn a little bit and about it. It's the, probably The good cool. news is, is a lot of the time people have done this already, right? Yeah, yeah. It, the, the place where they run into the difficulties a lot of the time is you'll get somebody who thinks they're an expert at the table and they start pulling out the well actually and start squelching somebody else's fun. And you should not do that. Do not be the no fun robot. Yes. Yes. Uh, GMs, this particularly goes for you. Do not expect perfect knowledge from every player about everything. And players don't expect it from your GMs. And physicists don't, like, try and impose realistic falling damage on people in an anime game. Oh, please, no. No. It ruins everything. (laughs) 
Um, and actually, GMs, one other important note, don't expect the same style of play from every player at your table. This yeah. is a common trap because it's often, well, I want to play things my way as the GM. This is the game we're playing. Peter does not roleplay the same way I do. I haven't had enough time to play with Jenny, but Jenny, I'm pretty sure you don't roleplay the same way Peter and I do. I doubt it. And we don't play the same way that Chrissy or our last player does either. Exactly. <laughs> I will say I for certain things, and I will say my character's name for certain things, and someone else at the table will completely switch that around. Like if I'm doing social stuff, I usually say my character's name and do it third person. Say my character's just doing this. If I'm doing physical stuff, I tend to do it first person because that's what I'm kind of in. I'm visualizing, I'm imagining social stuff. Not as good at sometimes. I mean, I like talking with people. I speak fairly clearly, but I'm not a real social gadfly very well. Good huggers, like the best I can do. <laughs> I would say good conversationalist is probably more realistic. But well, like okay. I said, I, I talk reasonably well. You are a well. podcaster, right. like, so yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to charm a crowd. And that's okay, because if my character does, needs to do that, I can say, hey, my character charms the crowd, kind of leaning on this particular thing. Or, you know, yeah, everybody comes back five minutes later, and he's the center of a crowd. We're all laughing together. He's telling another funny joke. Great. I don't need to know a funny joke. My character knows him. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, last two things. First, everybody needs to be patient when doing this. Yes. Sometimes, like... You may not be to the level of intelligence of your character, and that's okay. But if you say to to the group, my character's smarter than me, I am on the verge of having a good idea about this, give me a minute, I will have an idea in the next five minutes. Let the five minutes happen. Th don't, don't be afraid to think out what, what you're about to do if, if you are playing above your, your level. And, and it takes patience from every, everybody. And you need to have a certain amount of patience with yourself, too. Don't get too down on yourself if you can't charm a crowd with a few words and, and some singing or whatever, like yourself. Because you're not your character. Um, that's, that's okay. okay. Yeah. And it's also okay to let the, the dice do the talking. We, we've talked about that already. Like, as we ranted earlier, let the dice do the talking. Roll the dice. See what happens. Maybe your character did really well. Maybe the NPC that you're rolling against did really bad, and and you managed to get by because the NPC is having an off day or something. And that that does rely a little bit on the GM as well. There are also games like like again the the Doctor Who role playing game where story points are very useful for like getting clues. Use those story points to get clues if it makes sense for your character to know the thing. Let the story points flow in and revel in how smart your character is, <laughs> or whatever. What's the term in Unknown Armies, Grant? Of course I can blank, I'm a blank. What, uh, I'm so, Unknown Armies 3rd Edition uses that as a core mechanic for identities. What you do is you basically say, this is an identity my character has, like... Identity, yes, that's the term I was looking for. Epideromancer, right? Like, I'm, I'm hurting myself for magic. So in that case, it's, of course, I can stub my toe and walk away without, you know, grimacing. I'm an epideromancer. I've had worse. Right. Of course, I can operate on this man. I'm a doctor. Of course, I know where the medications are kept. I'm a pharmacist. Well, of course, I know where the medications are kept in the hospital. I'm a doctor. Of course, I know how to cook a bit bananas foster. I'm a doctor doesn't make sense. That's not something that's going to fall under that identity. Right. It's okay to kind of generally do that and say, of course I can make this happen. I'm the social guy. 
I'm the wizard. Of course I'm smart enough to figure this out. Yeah. Make that happen and let it just kind of be a collective effort. That's We've talked a lot about GM and player. Let the other players contribute too sometimes. Mm-hmm. They may have excellent ideas on how you do things. Don't let it bog down into a, a full-on, oh, no, 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 this, oh, no, no, this, oh, no, no, this conversation at the table. Because that'll happen if you don't control it. But it's okay to take another good suggestion from someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and once again, GMs don't penalize people for doing that. And also recognize investment. If yeah. I, as a player, have spent points on something in the game, I should not have to prove that I myself am good at it for my character to be. Please. Full stop. Yes, mm-hmm. we're about to send me off on that same rant again. You yeah. watch. <laughs> and me too. It's like, I do not need to walk outside with a rifle and put a bunch of holes through a bullseye and a target to say that my character is a marksman. Yeah, exactly. Okay, when we run the risk of repeating the same rant twice, I think it's time to wrap up the episode. <laughs> yes, I think so too. We've been going for a fair while too. We have. I, I, one... I think Grant and I may continue this rant off the uh, recording later, but you don't need to hear it. So you're going to hear it rolling across the Great Plains. He'll <laughs> <laughs> be like, oh, Grant lives all the way in South Carolina and I live in northern Illinois and I can still hear him ranting about is that, this. Is that thunder? Nope, nope. It's just Grant muttering. All right. <laughs> Grant's long distance muttering. Sounds like a and d spell. At any rate, on that note, I think we're done. I think we are, too. One thing I do want to encourage people to do, check social media for pictures of Fear the Con, hopefully some posts from people about like how things are going. I do not know if everything is going to be posted equally to all of our feeds, so pay attention mostly to Facebook and Twitter, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. If Peter and Jenny need to just send me stuff and I post it to everything because I'm stuck at work being sad, all right, fine. It happens. But look forward to a recap or episode or something after Fear of the Con, because I want to know how things go, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be great. And I'm sure we'll be very keen to sit down and talk about it. Oh, yeah. So, and your mom isn't running the Trouble with Rose game this year, Jenny, so no. my voice will probably be functional on Sunday. Yes. Uh, however, she is running two games that I believe are full now, uh, her level one, method one, and her loot the mansion game. So she... I'm pretty sure I'm in the loot the mansion game, but uh, at least I won't be playing as the mouse. So no. I, <laughs> I will have a good chance of actually keeping my voice. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, on that note, folks, take it easy. We will catch you later. Have a good one. See you next time. See ya. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.